Welcome to the inaugural edition, the very first podcast, the introduction to Fear the Fro, which is uh, clearly a reference to our newly extended franchise center, Jared Allen. Now, my name is Bob Schmidt. I am a lifelong Cavalier fan in my late 30s, so I have watched a lot of sucking, then a period of very good basketball, and now we're in this phase, which is exciting, but not the most win-laden portion of our history. Not that there's been a lot of those portions of our franchise history, but the point is, huge Cavs fan. Now, my day job is sitting in front of a microphone as well. I'm the voice of Fox Sports, The Dan Patrick Show, Colin Cowherd, amongst others, but really, I'm only peripherally in the media. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes guy who tries to talk to all of my coworkers about the Cavaliers, only to be ignored or dismissed. Because I live in Los Angeles, where seemingly the only thing that people want to discuss in the basketball world is the Los Angeles Lakers. There was a bit of overlap with LeBron James for a while, but people will only take so much of you talking about 2018 LeBron James when we're presently in 2021. So I do what I can. That led me to the creation of this podcast, and I was trying to decide on names. And of course, I was Googling, looking around the internet, lots of different stuff taken. I did not see anyone naming a Cavalier podcast in honor of our, our man, Jared Allen. So I decided, what the hell? He's here for five years, at least. I may be rebranding this at some day in the distant future, but that day is not today. Today is the very first episode. That's as good a place to start as any. Jared Allen. Five years, $100 million. Now, my initial feelings going into free agency were, while I did expect him to sign a deal roughly between 18 to $20 million a season, I of course hoped it would be on the lower end of that. It is in fact $20 million a season, and it's evenly distributed. I guess it could be worse in the sense of how the contract was structured. I did not want a deal that went up and up and up and got him into his highest paid years as we reached the point in the contracts of Darius Garland and Isaac Okoro and Evan Mobley where we would presumably be paying them a lot more money because at that point, you can't pay five guys in a starting lineup well into 20 to $30 million a year and we're going to be making some tough decisions when it comes to Sexton, when it comes to Okoro. It is a bit of an overpay. It makes Jared Allen the sixth highest paid center in the league at this point. He's being paid more than guys like Clint Capella and Miles Turner, but he is only 23 years old. His ceiling is maybe not as high as certain other guys in terms of shooting range and role in the offense, but his floor is extremely high. Even quote unquote bad Jared Allen, a concussed Jared Allen who cooled off considerably at the end of this past season, was still doing double-double numbers on high efficiency. And for that stretch at the end of February, Allen looked like the type of guy who, when capable point guard play is involved, could be an even better center within the offense, one who maybe isn't getting tons of touches, but is delivering with extremely high efficiency and capitalizing on the attention that better offensive options draw, like Garland and like Sexton, and presumably, eventually, like Evan Mobley. So, 
I'm fine with the contract. $20 million a season. It may be a little higher than he's paid. He should be paid, rather. In three to four years, those annual average values of contracts may have crept up even higher than that. Now, you look around the marketplace this summer, and there were not a lot of centers. So we did run the risk if we didn't pay Allen a healthy contract that somebody would swoop in and try to call our bluff and give him a big offer sheet. Now, that didn't happen. We extended and we came to terms with him early. But I do wonder if we had wrote it out, similar to the way that the Bulls have just kind of waited out Markinen, that the market would dry up and we might have been able to leverage that into a slightly more team-friendly contract. Of course, there's the argument that that's a bad way to operate. Now, I don't necessarily know that I subscribe to that belief. I think the fact we gave up a first-round pick to obtain his restricted free agent rights makes me feel like maybe we should have used them a little bit. Now, I'm still all for paying Jared Allen a long-term contract to keep him here. And if, if $20 million per year was what it took to do that, then so be it. But I think he's more of a 16 to $18 million guy, and I just hope that it doesn't come down to pinching pennies on equally important guys later down the line. However, willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes, and hopefully he ends up earning that contract and capitalizing on this influx of talent as those guys develop. So, And I'm hoping for a big season because I'll look like a real asshole if I named a podcast after a guy who becomes as loathed amongst the fan base as Kevin Love is now. So, good for you, Jared Allen. Now, what do we do with the mid-level exception? Or even a portion of the mid-level exception? There are rumors out there that the Cavs are in discussions with New Orleans about potentially working a sign-and-trade for one of their restricted free agents, Josh Hart, a good friend of Larry Nance, and a guy who plays a position that we could use some depth at, mostly because we're not getting what we hope to get out of Osman. Hart would in all likelihood command the entire mid-level. I can't see any scenario where New Orleans doesn't match a Josh Hart offer sheet that costs the full mid-level. And even then, keep in mind, a mid-level deal puts you somewhere in the range of $9.5 million, $10 million a season on average. That it really isn't that much more than Osman is making right now. Derek Jones Jr. got that kind of deal from Portland last season. I'm sure they probably regret that now, especially with what's going on with Damian Lillard. Crowder got that kind of money. In terms of guys who signed this offseason, McDermott signed for $14 million almost, Duncan Robinson closer to 15, Will Barton closer to 15, and Kelly Oubre just signed for 12. So you look at some of those guys, I'm not saying some of them aren't better than Josh Hart, but Josh Hart definitely deserves to be paid somewhere in that range as a big time, first guy off the bench, glue guy type player who can contribute across the board. He, he can score a little, he can defend pretty well, and he can rebound at an elite level. So I'm not saying he's a primary option or we'd even start on our team. He definitely wouldn't. But if Osman doesn't turn it around, I mean, he had probably his worst season. And he's regressed since the years where he was playing with more elite talent around him. But Osman is due for either a big bounce back or... Uh, swift foot in the butt on the way out the door. 
Josh Hart, I would absolutely be interested in seeing him come to the Cavs, but it's all contingent on what that team wants back in a sign-and-trade because outside of maybe a second-round pick or two and Osman, I don't know what the Cavs can send back to make that work. Now, alternatively, there are other options out there if they decide to go the way of just signing an unrestricted free agent. My favorite of those options would probably be Sfi Mikhailuk, who had his qualifying offer rescinded by Oklahoma City, essentially making him an unrestricted free agent. Now, his ceiling isn't that high. I mean, he's probably a career backup, but he is a sharpshooter style who likes to take three-point shots and isn't afraid to take open looks. And that's one thing on this team that we definitely need. Not necessarily guys who aren't afraid to take looks, who aren't afraid to take three-point looks and actually can make those looks. Now, last season statistically wasn't his best, but he definitely showed flashes when he was with the Pistons of being capable of scoring in bunches from outside the three-point line. So he would probably be my second choice. And then after that, it's just a bunch of names of guys that don't really interest me that much. Avery Bradley would be an interesting, you know, reclamation project. He's a little long in the tooth and doesn't seem to, I guess I shouldn't say he doesn't have any heart, but I mean, this was a guy who was on a title team and opted out of the bubble and just sort of vanished after that. So maybe he has more left, but he was pretty quiet with the heat last year. And he is a bigger frame guy who can do a little bit of the stuff that we seem to be lacking in the backcourt. But I'll be curious to see how that plays out or if we're rolling into the season with the core that we got. Although after watching Summer League, I definitely would not mind making an upgrade from Broderick Thomas. So, that brings us to Summer League. I just watched Game 2. Game 2 is in the books, ended just a little while ago. And while I was a bit discouraged with Evan Mobley in the first half, he was missing some shots, he was short-rimming some things. A lot of that was due to just people getting their bodies into him and him kind of having to force. He does have to play a very large role in the offense. And then it's a good time in summer league to see what he can do. He, I mean, his shot is a work in progress. He made some buckets in the second half, had a three. I thought he looked a lot more comfortable. There is one thing I will say. He does get the ball a lot on the high post or, or on the elbows out near the foul line. And while he is an excellent passer, he had an excellent game today in terms of finding guys and a couple of really nice assists where he led guys into buckets. But it's not necessarily something that I want to see at such a high volume. Now, mind you, this is a team that's basically just showcasing Okoro and Mobley and a little bit of Lamar Stevens and then everything else. I mean, those aren't guys who are likely going to be on your roster. So now's the time to figure out what you got. But Mobley had a little bit of a rough first half, I thought, and then he kind of started to get his footing in the second half. He definitely has good court awareness. He's definitely confident in his handle. I like that. And defensively, Wagner caught him a couple times sleeping on backdoor cuts. But in praise of the Magic, a lot of the guys on their teams were doing excellent, taking advantage of when the Cavs turned their head or weren't paying attention. There was a lot of great backdoor cuts. Not all of them resulted in buckets. That was the only thing I noticed on defense with Mobley that I thought he could stand to do a little bit better on. He wasn't made to pay tonight. Those guys weren't converting buckets or they didn't make those passes 
or even if it looked like Wagner was open for a moment, most of the time, nobody wanted to test Mobley and his reach and his wingspan. So it didn't end up burning him. But you could definitely see the impact he has on the game on that end. And that immediately is very encouraging. It will just be a matter of how comfortable he is offensively and what his jumper's like. Because when we get into those games during the regular season, you can see already guys in the summer league are putting bodies on him and playing him physical. And he's missing some of these shots around the rim, not because I don't think he he can't shoot, but simply because they're affecting his shot. They're putting a body on him. They're moving him. So he's having to take these off-balance hook attempts or push shots, and they just weren't falling. But obviously, as he adds weight and muscle, which may take a couple of seasons before he's really getting into his zone in that regard, those will come easier for him. He looked excited to get the smaller guys down on the block and he is patient he was good he drew a couple guys up in the air and with pump fakes and and game one and game two where you could tell I mean he has a good awareness of who's around him I didn't find him getting doubled and turning over the ball a lot he seemed to sense where the double was coming from as people pointed out even before the draft the big work in progress is his strength at this point his defense Seems good. His handle seems good. He seems comfortable. It seems silly watching Summer League that people questioned if we could play him alongside Allen because he definitely should be playing power forward. And a guy like Allen is on another level strength-wise to him at this point. Now with the other guys, tip of the cap to Matt Ryan. Went on a little tear there where he was knocking down some threes. But most of the rest of these guys are probably not going to make the roster uh, probably shouldn't make the roster. I think Okoro, from what everybody's been saying, is probably not going to play in all of these summer league games. So this is going to be a Mobley and perhaps Steven showcase here on out. And Roderick Thomas, uh, you're on notice now that Ricky Rubio, backup point guard savior, is in town. And I am excited about that because I do think Mobley even Okoro, both those guys, as we get into the season. Now, they're trying to have Okoro be more of a primary ball handler here in Summer League, but I just like the aggressiveness. I like that he's confident that he can go through some of these guys and he can get that first step on them. And that's mainly what I want out of him when the regular season rolls around. I don't care if the guy ball handles. He can do it now in Summer League all he wants. But all I want, opportunistic back cuts and slashes and drives to the rim when guys disrespect his handle or disrespect his offensive game, and hopefully continued progress in his shooting. The better he becomes at that, even if it's only moderately, the more that's going to open things up for everybody. We've got to see games against the first couple picks in the draft. Everybody before the draft, there was so much discussion about who the Cavs would ideally take if they had their choice. We were never in that position since whoever fell to three was going to be the guy they take. If Green didn't end up going to the Rockets, then Green would have been with the Cavs. But uh, there was discussion over, well, do we want the guy who's the best roster fit for us, which presumably was Mobley because of our depth in the backcourt of young prospects, or would we rather have the guy who's just the highest ceiling, highest upside, most likely to contribute right off the bat guy, which at least at this point in the summer league, looks like it's going to be green because he is confident, like almost irrationally so. And he has a super fast release. 
He seems extremely good already at that that quick step back to the left. He made some buckets where he's squared up, but he's drifting, and he's still knocking them down. I mean, he is clearly a supremely confident offensive prospect. And all those guys on the Rockets look good. Shen Goon looks uh, confident and comfortable, and even Christopher. I know he slid in the first round because they were worried about character issues or immaturity or whatever the case may be, but he's found ways to contribute. I like what Houston did. It reminds me a lot of what Detroit was able to get out of the draft last year, finding a couple of contributors in Bay and Beef Stew. Cunningham has, of course, been good too. Had a quieter first game, but this last matchup with Green, you could tell they fed off one another. There was a lot of... I personally think, and this isn't a bold take at this point, now that we've seen two games, but Green clearly is going to be the guy who comes out of the gate with a long leash playing in Houston, an offensive skill set that seems like it's already league ready. I believe in the G League theory. These guys look like they're ready to play right away. Other standouts from the summer league, Jalen Johnson, that seems like Atlanta's going to have yet another one of these three, four guys. You know, they have Hunter already and Gallo and uh, Kevin Herter, who's already big, like a big guy. I realize he's not playing a front court position, but they have Collins. I mean, these guys, they just keep finding these big wings. And if Johnson can carry this type of confidence into the regular season, he can help them make those decisions when they have to decide who they're going to extend and who they're not going to extend because they're going to have Jalen Johnson on a rookie contract. Seemingly, he may force his way into a role on that team. Sharif Cooper, also good in Atlanta. The other name that's jumped out to me of the rookies has been Chris Duarte. Saw a lot of people discussing him and how he would fill a perfect role for the Cavs, but we just didn't have another lottery choice. But he is what was advertised, a polished shooter ready to go, seemingly comfortable already playing amongst these guys in the summer league, and I've loved what I've seen from him with the Pacers. Moses Moody looks very solid. A a lot of second-year guys, well, they're doing what second-year guys do. Patrick Williams, Obi Toppin, Peyton Pritchard, Emmanuel Quickly. All those guys look to be having big summer leagues. So anyway, that's kind of my inaugural edition. My intention with this podcast is simply to do Maybe one a week. I may do more. It kind of depends on the news. I definitely will be breaking in if we make a signing or a big trade or whatever the case may be. But I didn't branch out too much in this inaugural episode. But as I bring guests on and as I bounce stuff off other people, there will be a lot more NBA talk in general. So Cavaliers, NBA podcast, this is it. Thank you. Like, subscribe, please. I would be very appreciative. I plan to add a video element as we go on. I'm doing all the graphic and web stuff myself uh, because this is a grand experiment for me. But if I'm an unlikable person, I understand. I appreciate you even giving me your ears for this one listen. So thank you. Till next time, Fear the Fro Podcast.